0: cardiology, neuroscience, and artificial intelligence, the icon School of Medicine at Mount Sinai. We find a way. This week's episode is brought to you in part by the NOmis and Science Young Explorer Award. Are you doing excellent research that deserves recognition? The NOmis and Science Young Explorer Award recognizes bold young researchers who ask fundamental questions at the intersection of the life and social sciences, Researchers who take risks to address relevant and exciting questions with creative approaches, regardless of the research outcome. Submissions are due May 15th. Visit science.org slash nomis, that's N-O-M-I-S, to apply today. Welcome to the Science Podcast for January 5th, 2018. I'm Sarah Crespi. In this week's show, David Grimm talks raccoon latrines. Why would anyone or anything visit these masked bandit bathrooms? And Christian Joban talks with us about three papers published this week in Science that connect cancer immunotherapy and the gut microbiome. What do our intestinal bugs have to do with fighting cancer? Now we have David Grimm, editor for our daily news site. He's here to talk about a recent online story. Welcome, Dave. Hey, Sarah. Okay, uh, we're going to talk about raccoon latrines today, Dave. Let's start with the concept of latrines. This is a place where an animal goes to the bathroom repeatedly. What are some of the reasons certain species might do this?
1: You know, we know that a lot of animals do this. We know ocelots do this. And they all poop in the same place. And it sort of becomes a hot spot for biodiversity this case is sort of a little bit different almost kind of the opposite these are raccoons they like to poop also a in lot in the same place on top of logs on top of prominent hills at the bases of boulders but a lot of animals actually avoid these communal latrines and researchers were trying to figure out well how do these popular potty spots sort of influence the local ecology
0: right in this study they wanted to know Are other animals interested in these latrines? (laughs) Because they're actually dangerous, right? They might be a food source for some animals, but they're not safe to go to.
1: Right. So here's why you'd want to go. So you'd want to go because there are undigested seeds in this poop. And if you're a seed scavenger, this is sort of like a grocery store for you. But there's also a potentially lethal parasite known as the raccoon roundworm parasite in this poop, which could be a big problem.
0: What did they do to figure out who was snacking and who was avoiding? They used camera traps, obviously. They
1: did. And they spent three years setting up and looking at these camera traps that were trained on these communal latrines. They looked at 50 raccoon latrines in total. This was in a uh, nature preserve in Santa Barbara. And what they found was some animals were really attracted to the latrines and some avoided them like the plague.
0: So rats were the ones that showed up primarily. That's
1: right. and Because rats, not coincidentally, are not affected by this parasite. So they actually spent a lot of time at these latrines. The researchers saw them there at least once a week, which is actually the same frequency that the raccoons themselves were at the latrines. But animals like um, mice, birds, and rabbits for whom this infection, this parasitic infection can be deadly – completely stayed away, and there were other animals like lizards and bobcats, which don't really don't, aren't really attracted to the seeds and also aren't really impacted by the parasites, and they didn't really treat these areas differently than any other area.
0: Okay, so what does it mean that there's a segregation of different seed eaters? Some avoid the latrines and some spend some time there.
1: Well, on the one hand, it's not really that surprising, right, because if you're going to get really sick from a pile of poop, chances are you've evolved to stay away from it, but the interesting thing is, is this is actually this the the scientists say this is actually might be actually shaping the ecosystem because if you have certain species that are congregating in specific places and other species that are avoiding those places and these species go off and do their own things like eat grass or hunt it could affect the distribution of species within an ecosystem. It's what the scientists call an ecology of fear because the landscape is kind of being shaped by the avoidance of these particular objects, in this case, latrines.
0: And what about people? I mean, are people (laughs) going to succumb to this raccoon disease?
1: For you and I, this raccoon roundworm infection is actually, can be deadly. So we should stay away. And actually the research in the study stayed away too. They didn't really, they videotaped these latrines. They kept an eye on them. But as they say, they did not mess with them.
0: Okay, Dave, what else is on the site this week?
1: Well, Sarah, we've got a story about a mysterious asteroid impact that hit Earth about 800,000 years ago and new clues to where it may have hit the planet. Also a story about the two things that will help you identify a sick person from a not-sick person just by looking at their face. And for Science Insider, our policy blog, we've got a roundup of some of our hottest stories of 2017. So if you're not sick of top 10 lists, we've got one more for you.
0: (laughs) Thanks, Dave. Thanks, Sarah. David Grimm is editor for our online daily news site. I'm Sarah Crespi. Stay tuned for our interview with Christian Jovan. He talks with us about connecting cancer treatment with the gut microbiome, What's going on with those microbes that might improve cancer immunotherapy? Support for the Science Magazine podcast comes from BioRad Laboratories. At the forefront of groundbreaking research, BioRad Laboratories has been advancing discovery for over 60 years. Scientific discovery can be miraculous, but it is rarely simple. We've all heard and talked about the breakthroughs in gene editing using CRISPR-Cas9. But without the right tools, gene editing still takes a lot of trial and error to get what you need. From flow cytometry to automated cell imaging and counting to tried and true transfection, BioRad has what you need for rapid success. To find the many tools available to you, check out BioRad's CRISPR toolbox at bio-rad.com slash define your flow. With BioRad's improved gene editing workflows, you can increase your success using CRISPR-Cas9. You can access ready-made protocols and resources, stay up on current research, and you can even experience CRISPR in virtual reality. Find every tool you need online in the CRISPR toolbox at bio-rad.com slash define your flow. This week, three papers in science made connections between the effectiveness of cancer immunotherapy and the kinds of gut bacteria that live inside patients. Cancer immunotherapy aims to awaken parts of the immune system that can be put to sleep by certain types of cancer, allowing the body's own defenses to then kill off the cancer cells. Christian Joban writes a perspective tying these three studies together. And he's here to tell us what these papers found and what it means for cancer immunotherapy down the line. So Christian, what can can we start with what we know about this interaction between gut microbiome and cancer immunotherapy?
2: Well the relationship between Microbial living in the gut and what is the patient response to immunotherapy, it seems to be very strong because remember, these are three independent groups, two from US, one from France, although they are finding different microorganisms, they're still coming to the same conclusion that these microorganisms or microorganisms are helping fighting cancer when you uh, use immunotherapeutic agents, so that's quite fascinating. Mm
0: -hmm. Let's talk a little bit about the, the observational results that these research groups saw. They looked at different types of cancer and the response to immunotherapy, and then they also looked at the microbes that were living in these people. Can you talk about the relationships that they saw?
2: Right, so three different groups, two groups looking at the same type of cancer, one group Different type of cancer, but they came to the same conclusion that you could predict the survival curve if this patient is longer and they have a compositional aspect of their macros as different. I think the key of their experiment, all of them, is they decided to uh, see if we could transfer this responsiveness by taking the microbes.
0: This, this is when they moved the study into mice, uh, away from patients.
2: Yeah, so they wanted a preclinical model so that they could start asking more defined, precise questions. What is the uh, relationship with this correlation of responder-non-responder that they saw in human? And they transfer these uh, microbial community with an approach we call a uh, fecal microbial transplant. So it's, you repopulate mouse uh, with the human microbes. And these mice were carrying tumors that uh, were coming from. Patients that uh, were having either melanoma, so the the mouse is kind of a avatar for the uh, the human.
0: Yeah, the mouse has the cancer, and now it has the same uh, micro population. Right. And they saw they saw that same connection. The certain types of populations were predictive of successful immunotherapy.
2: Correct, because they were using the same uh, therapeutic approach, a the PDL one inhibitor. So it's the same target, the same drugs as what the patient were exposed to. And what they found is the mouse carrying a non-responder microbiota. Again, they were not responding as much as uh, a mouse that is repopulated with a responding microbiota.
0: Another intervention they undertook was to try to rescue these non-responder mice, the avatars that weren't doing so great with immunotherapy. And they were able to change that response by changing the mice's microbiomes.
2: Which is very important if you think about clinical uh, application of this discovery. So if you have a patient that is uh, classified as a non-responder, could you change this outcome? Could you Mm -hmm. make that patient a responder? And what they did, uh, they introduced a a microorganism that was uh, often seen as highly abundant relative abundance in patient that responds they put that microorganism in a non-responder mouse and they were able to uh, turn around the outcome so now the mouse become more responsive to the uh, immunotherapeutics and uh, the cancer tumors implanted were shrinking faster so that's uh kind of a proof of principle that mm-hmm. you could probably uh, think about using such a uh, an intervention to uh, improve the outcome in patient if you identify patients that do not have the right set of microbes.
0: That gets to a tricky point though, the set of microbes that seem to help with response weren't the same between all these different populations.
2: That's correct. When you look at the details, these microbes are different. Uh, Mm -hmm. So what do they do? I think it doesn't really matter at this point. Uh, We're probably going to have, if you think in the future, a signal that will define different microbes that are traditionally reported to be in the responding ecosystem. So you could have a cocktail of microorganisms that are defined to be a responder. So Mm -hmm. it could be one, more, two, three or four. And uh, you could introduce that in patients that are lacking one or even more of these responding uh, microorganisms. The best of the best, obviously, will be to understand the mechanism. Could you uh, refine the uh, intervention by providing the functional molecule that could we understand that these three or four different microorganisms may be uh, connecting to the immune system uh, through a similar Target, and then uh, we're going to move away from putting microorganism to uh, maybe having a more, uh, you know, a small molecule. So
0: find out what those microbes are doing and then do it for them.
2: <laughs> right. So that's exactly that. I mean, how do they do it? You know, because the microbes are identifying the feces of patients and, uh, you know, the tumors are in distant sight. It's not colorectal cancer we're talking about here, it's melanomas and lung cancer. So the, this connection is not clear. How do the microbes travel to the site? How do they educate the immune system to be more efficient in killing tumors and resist the eva- evasion uh, signal that tumors provide typically? So we don't know that.
0: It does seem that cancer patients are particularly vulnerable, though, and so you don't want to, you know, just take a big mix of microbes and put them...
2: Absolutely. No, that's true. This is, this is where it's getting fascinating because, uh, you know, the group in France were asking this question in terms of microbes and cancer relationship because often uh, there will be a standard of care to take antibiotics because your right. immune system is weaker, so you don't want microorganism to start disseminating and, and induce septic shocks. So you take antibiotics and at the same time you take antibiotics. Usually it's for gram negative, but nevertheless, uh, you you're killing a lot of microorganisms. Some of them could be the one that will be helping your 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 med, your 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 anti-cancer. So that's why we need to understand in more details, moving probably away from introducing too many microorganisms. It may work and uh, I'm sure proof of principle in mouse it works, but mouse (laughs) is a little bit far from uh, the clinic.
0: So we've been talking about this immunotherapy target uh, PD-1. It was used in these studies. What kinds of cancer are being treated with this approach now and is this... Is this going to mean this, this understanding of the gut microbes, is this going to mean something for a lot of different types of cancer?
2: you know, the field of microbiome and uh, cancer and and the immune checkpoint are, you know, evolving new therapeutics. If you think about uh, immune checkpoint, this is relatively new therapeutics. So, it's mostly for advanced melanomas right now, the claim to fame, but many, many clinical trials are now in the work to expand the uh, potential uh, cancer treatment repertoire. So, we're not quite there in terms of you know it's a small fra- fragment a segment of, of cancer patient that could be treated with uh, with immune checkpoint.
0: Christian, thank you so much for talking with me. My pleasure. Christian Joban writes a perspective on connections between the gut microbiome and cancer immunotherapy this week in Science. You can find links to his article and the related research at sciencemag.org/podcasts. I just want to take a few minutes of your time to talk about science podcast advertising. You may have noticed that we have ads on the podcast, and that is because they bring us money and they introduce you to new products and services that you might be interested in. Um, we don't solicit those ads ourselves. We use a company called Midroll. And so if you might be interested in advertising on the Science Podcast, go to midrollcom science and click Contact to let the folks at Midroll know. They also represent other great shows that you might be interested in advertising on, like Neil deGrasse Tyson's Star Talk or My Favorite Murderer, if that's your thing. So you can reach an array of engaged listeners through advertising on Midroll. That's midroll, midrol com slash science, S-C-I-E-N-C-E. And that concludes this edition of the Science Podcast. If you have any comments or suggestions for the show, write to us at sciencepodcast at aas.org or tweet to us at science magazine. You can subscribe to the show on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, or listen to us on the Science site at sciencemag.org slash podcasts, where you can also find links to the research and news stories discussed in each episode. The show was produced by Sarah Cresby, Jeffrey Cook composed the music. On behalf of Science Magazine and its publisher, AAAS, thanks for joining us. This week's episode is brought to you in part by Science Careers. Looking for some career advice? Wondering how to get ahead or how to strike a better work-life balance? Visit our site to read how others are doing it. Use our individual development plan tool, access topic-specific article collections, or search for an exciting new job. Science Careers, produced by Science and AAAS, is a free website full of resources to help get the most out of your career. Visit sciencecareers.org today to get started. You listen to us to hear about new discoveries in science, but did you know we're a part of the American Association for the Advancement of Science? AAAS is a nonprofit publisher and a science society. When you join AAAS, you help support our mission to advance science for the benefit of all. Become a AAAS member at the silver level or above to receive a year subscription to Science and an exclusive gift. Join today by visiting AAAS.org/join. That's AAAS.org/join.